Follow the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 332, and today we are talking about books being released on October 12th, 2021, and more. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with Vanessa Diaz, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Vanessa, hello! Hello! I almost called you by another name because I forgot to change that part of the <laughs> I notes. caught that, I caught that. I was like, it's cool. We've only known each other for four or five years, it's fine. <laughs> I probably would have been better at catching it, uh, but as soon as I said the date, I'm like, that's all ones, twos, and zeros. And I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> My brain is just, it's always doing several things at one time, which is fine. It's fine. This is our second recording of the week together. We're yes. a little loopy. <laughs> yeah, it feels weird because my brain's like, you already recorded with Vanessa this you week. just talked to her. <laughs> but that is true, but also we have to do this. Yes. We have to record all the books. People would be sad if we didn't. I would be sad if we didn't. Very. Yeah. Um, we have all kinds of great things to talk about today. Uh, I want to mention again that this is our 10-year anniversary <laughs> book riot. It's very exciting. Uh, hard to believe, too. I know. You, you know, I mean, wow, I've been doing this for 10 years. Uh, but to celebrate, we are running a limited edition merch line, which includes hoodies, sweatshirts, totes, all kinds of stuff. And they are in our signature logo colors and with the BR branding. And we're only selling this in October. So if you want to get in on it, go to bookriot.com merch and check it out. And more exciting news. We're hiring an advertising sales manager. Yeah. So you can come work with Book Riot. If you like books and comics, that's exciting. Does helping advertisers who want to reach an enthusiastic community of book and comics lovers excite you? Then this job may be for you, especially if you have prior experience in sales or account management. So we are committed to building an inclusive workforce and strongly encourage applications from women, individuals with disabilities, and people of color. Health, retirement, and 160 hours of annual PTO are some of the benefits you can expect. To apply, go to bookriot.com slash join dash US and apply by October 24th, 2021, and you might be able to join our team. Come work with me. Yes. I'm very sad that, you know, Jess left, but... These things happen. They do. And it's we're a good, meet good somebody thing. New. Yeah, we're excited. Yeah. It's bittersweet, but we're super excited yeah. to also like join, have more people join the team. So good, good for everyone. Yeah, absolutely. So, all right. Those are the things I know I had to say. <laughs> what didn't I have to say? I just want to say some like really weird words now, like raspberry, zipper, <laughs> curtains. Just, I didn't have to say those things, but I did. Just, just pick <laughs> smorgasbord. Charcuterie. Oh, that's a good word. Sure. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> as much as the charcuterie ups- upsets me, I, is a really fun word to say. I agree. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I know it's not your actual ministry, but the word is fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. My favorite word to say is defenestrate, which I find that a lot of people, that's like their oh, favorite word I, to say. When I was very young, I saw that word. And remember, I speak Spanish as my first language. So I definitely went around saying like, fre- fre- frenaste, like for a while. And somebody was like, what? <laughs> It's like, oh, <laughs> sorry. Oh, yeah. It was like the answer on Jeopardy a couple weeks ago. I was like, yes, Madame Odio, say that word. <laughs> it was very exciting. <laughs> These are the things that excite us. You know, which we'll just be saying forever because, you know, he's going to be on. I think he's like on his 35th win now as of last night. Oh, my God, he's really? Recording. Yeah. Recording wow. on Friday, October 8th. He's in second place. Yeah. But he has like 30 more shows to go to catch up to, Ken to Jennings. Jennings. Yeah. Yeah. That is wild. But I mean, it's exciting. I don't know. I like it. Me too. Um, so we are going to talk about books now. But before we do that, we are going to hear from our first sponsor. 
Today's episode is brought to you by Entangled Publishing's Red Tower Books, publisher of the smash hit Fourth Wing. You'll only cross these blades once in a page-turning new tale of revenge strategy and so many lies. Best-selling Red Tower Books is releasing its next year's will read that will capture your imagination and keep you guessing until the end. May Corlin's Five Broken Blades tells an intricate high-stakes tale of five total strangers united in a plot that will test their strength, wits, and courage. Each has their reasons, all have secrets. But while it's easy to portray a stranger, it's not so simple to stab a friend or a lover, okay, in the back. Now these five blades must choose between vengeance and one another. Pick up five broken blades by Mae Corlin for a thrilling, adventurous tale filled with risk, romance, adventure, and oh, so many lies. The relationships in it are complex and nuanced and involve everything from friends to enemies found in biological family and lovers and more. Thanks again to Entangled Publishing's Red Tower Books, publishers of the smash hit Fourth Wing for sponsoring this episode. Okay, so I'm just gonna jump in with the really disturbing, unsettling, scary season pick that I love. It is This Thing Between Us by Gus Moreno. And a lot of of scary books coming out, you know, because it's Halloween season. Although I read them year-round. I know a lot of you read them year-round. This one is an unsettling story of grief and anger and haunting. And even the description is distressing. So just buckle in and, and get ready because it's a lot. So there is a young couple named Diego and Vera. They live in Chicago. They met in college. They fell in love. Vera comes from money. Her mother does not really approve of Diego, but, you know, they're in love and they're going to do what they want to do anyway. So they get married and they decide, like, their starter home is going to be a condo. They buy this condo together. And again, Vera's mother, not happy. You know, she's like, oh, you know, I could have helped you find something else or you know why did you do this and like why you know are you wasting your money on a condo when you could have gotten a house to start up like she just doesn't approve so they don't really have the ability to turn to her and tell her holy cats there are all kinds of things going wrong with our condo because she doesn't want to hear it and that's usually who vera talks to because there are weird things going on in this condo there are cold spots in the house They hear scratching in the walls that that can't be explained. And they can't control their itza. I'm saying itza, I-T-Z-A. Itza in this book is like the Google or Amazon AI device that people have in their homes. Itza is this glowing white orb. And you say things like, itza, play this music. Or itza, answer this question. or But theirs seems to have a mind of its own. They start getting packages in the mail that they didn't order, and they can't figure out where they're coming from. They're they're to their address, they're charged to their card, but it's, like, really weird stuff, like a hundred of something and, like, just all the stuff that they didn't order. They can't even think of what they could have possibly have said in front of the ITSA to make this stuff start arriving. And so they replace it eventually. But that doesn't seem to stop it. But then Vera is killed. Vera is killed. I'm not going to tell you what happens, but... Her death becomes headline news across the nation and politicians want to politicize her death. The media is hounding Diego and he's angry at everybody. Like his life is now a media circus. He just wants to grieve. He's lost his wife and there are reporters everywhere. People constantly, you know, wanting him to take a stand on what happened one way or the other. And 
constant reminders of her like all over the news all the time and he's so devastated and angry and he's also angry at his friends who are telling him you know oh you need you can only grieve for so long and then you know it's time to move on and you know he's just angry and he's also still dealing with the weirdness going on in his condo so he decides to run away he decides he's going to go live in a cabin in the woods in colorado as far away from everything as he possibly can but Diego doesn't actually make the move alone. And as he sinks further into his grief and anger, something else moves into the cabin with him. I was like, this whole book, my, <laughs> my, like, the hair on the back of my neck kept standing up. Because Moreno really pulls off these scares. I find it doubly hard to hold suspense in a novel like, then in a horror movie, you know, like, in the horror movie, like, you hear the music, and something's gonna happen, and, you know, somebody's gonna jump out, or they're gonna turn, and somebody's gonna be there, and, like, you know it's gonna happen, or, you know, they fake you out, and then it happens, and they're doing, like, he's doing this in a book, like, there are scares in this book that, like, they're building, and you know it's gonna happen, and it's like, oh, boy, like, Itza wakes up in the middle of the night, and starts saying things that it shouldn't, or singing a song. And again, like I said, the hair just will just stand up on your arms. Because first of all, those are things that you have in your house. And what if that happened to you? What if like your device started talking to you or telling you inappropriate things like freaky? And also the use of the politicized death is like ripped straight from recent headlines. You know, both sides use it to fuel their agendas. And it felt very real. It's a great book for Halloween season or anytime you want to feel creeped out. I do want to give content warnings for graphic descriptions of death, illness, loss of a spouse, loss of a loved one, body horror, gore, violence, mental illness, racism, and racialized language, and animal death. That is the very scary This Thing Between Us by Gus Moreno. Oh, the trigger warnings on that one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's a scary book. I figured. Ooh. I very much enjoyed the noises you made describing that, though. <laughs> like, Thank you. <laughs> I didn't practice them ahead of time. Uh, they're very authentic. <laughs> <laughs> I will then kick us off also with my most disturbing read, my only real disturbing read of my picks for different reasons, but um, it's The Corpse Flower by Anna Meta Hancock. This is admittedly like a much like kind of darker thing than I would normally go for, and it's in part because I didn't realize it was going to get that dark, but it's also like Scandinavian noir like kind of thing so like hello diaz like get with the program <laughs> um, but it was so good that i blasted through it and i have to recommend it it's described as the girl with the dragon tattoo meets sharp objects so there is you know that for you and in the beginning we meet or the main character i should say is a danish journalist named eloise calden and she is facing a lot of blowback because this big big story that she recently broke has it's been like found basically that her source for that story, who she you know has chosen to remain to keep anonymous, is lied just flat out lied. It was she was caught lying, so she could lose her job over this. It's a big deal, and she kind of needs it to settle down because it's obviously just a huge you know focus of attention. And it's she writes for like a pretty big publication. It's it's a big deal. So in the midst of all that, she starts to get these mysterious letters, and at first, like I think she gets one sent to like the office, you know, where she works. And then eventually they end up coming to her home, which is a really big deal because she does not disclose like publicly. And I think even had like her information wiped because she's a journalist and, you know, fear of getting doxxed, etc. But she starts to get these letters. And the reason that they're creepy beyond just being like letters and places that you shouldn't get them is that there's this woman named 
on a keel who's against Seneca these letters, and she is a fugitive. She's wanted in connection with the fatal stabbing of a young lawyer. It's a really notorious case. Like she was seen like f- like leaving the crime scene covered in blood and then like looked up and made eye contact with the like security cameras. So she's like very, very notorious and everyone is looking for her. And this is the woman who has started leaving letters for uh, Eloise and it's starting to creep her out because she's basically telling her in some kind of cryptic language that they have a lot in common and that she needs to meet with her to like tell her side of the story. She doesn't know, and by she and Eloise, like, what to do with this information and doesn't know at first if she should disclose it or not. Like, you know, is it really from Anna? And if so, like, why is she reaching out to her? She doesn't see any, like, obvious connection. She knows she can't really dig into the story herself because, again, she is already in some pretty deep-ish for, like, the previous story that she wrote. So she starts, you know, kind of looping in other folks that, like, write with her and then eventually also homicide detectives. And people start to turn up dead, including the reporter who originally wrote the story about, like, the whole case. So now it's a race to figure out, like, has Anna Keel struck again? Is she the one, you know, doing the killings? Is more than one killer at large? Like, where do all of these clues point? And, you know, does do they point to Eloise? Do they point to Anna? Like, what is this mysterious link that allegedly connects, you know, these two people? And the letters keep coming, and it just gets really tense and, like, builds up to this, you know, reveal. I, again, darker than I would normally go for. And I and when I, I heard a couple of different people suggest it as like, oh, it's this, you know, dark noir read. I kept reading and going, oh, this is fine. Like, I don't really get what. And then the last, I don't know, three or four chapters when the reveal comes in are definitely the ones that take that like hard left turn. And it's, again, kind of like literally just talked about. It is, I think, really difficult to maintain suspense when you don't have the added you know, fizz, bang, boom of like really creepy music and ambiance, etc. But the book is tense. Like it's just so tense, especially again in those last like several chapters with an ending that's kind of like, <laughs> but um, this is the point where I need to give trigger warnings. And if you, they are a little bit spoilery, but I do feel like I need to give them. So if that's a problem for you, go ahead and I'm going to pause here. Fast forward. <laughs> uh, trigger warnings for some mild fat phobia that I didn't love. It was very quick. Just going to put that out there, but also for sexual assault involving minors. So those are the trigger warnings. Again, such such a tightly written book. Like I can't I this has now given me like hope that I might be able to read some like darker fiction that I've had my eye on for a while but didn't think I I could. It's I yeah, big fan of the genre and it's not a thing I had done a lot of diving into, but I highly recommend The Corpse Flower by Anametta Hancock. What other darker stuff have you had your eyes on? Like Pat the Bunny? <laughs> When I tell you that everybody at Book Riot, whenever someone mentions Pat the Bunny, we're like, ah, Liberty. <laughs> like, I know. It such it's a, my go-to joke. Such an that intense connection. I love it. <laughs> rolling out for like 10 years now. <laughs> I was legit getting ready to have to like give you like lists of books that I have my eye on. You're like, Pat the Bunny? I'm like, oh, yeah, okay. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I feel like there have been a lot of books lately that I've read that involve like letters being sent, anonymous letters and stuff. Yep. Which is weird since they just announced the identity of the Zodiac Killer. Oh, my God. That's right. So, like, lots of letters going on. I'll be checking my Wild. (laughs) I mean, I I think I saw it on TMZ, but I thought that they were pretty certain that they they knew who it was. But anyway, let's move on to some science fiction. Because this one is so much fun. It is The Apollo Murders by Chris Hadfield. And... It was a delight. This is a thriller about a secret mission to the moon in 1973. NASA 
is calling it a science mission. But the three astronauts who are set to fly to the moon know that it has a, another purpose. Intelligence, U.S. intelligence, has discovered a secret Soviet space station spying on America. And so they are sending these astronauts up to do something about it. But before the shuttle even launches, something happens that changes the mission. There's an accident. I'm not going to tell you what happens. And now they're trying to scramble and keep on track. And there's a former fighter pilot named Kaz who is on the ground. And he's trying to help these astronauts with their mission. And they're also might be a spy at NASA working for the Russians or maybe even on the shuttle and they could be walking into a trap. Like, who knows? It's a really fun Cold War thriller and it's really well written and expertly plotted. Like, I just enjoyed it from beginning to end. And now I want to add it right off the bat gets plus five realism points because, oh yeah, Chris Hadfield has actually been to space. Chris Hadfield was the first Canadian to walk in space. He has flown in two space shuttle missions and served as commander of the International Space Station. So, in your face, Andy Weir, like Chris Hadfield <laughs> knows all about space for real. And that is so much fun. I mean, how many people can say that? Not a lot, right? Like people, uh, you know, authors can do amazing things with detail about things that they've never experienced or been to. But like Chris Hadfield literally been in space Knows what it's like. And sometimes the detail I even found to be a little much, but I was like, I will allow it because how many people can use this detail? Like, brag all you want. He's been to space. Like, he's been on the space station. I was completely charmed. I think this is going to be a big book for the holidays. Everyone's going to love it. So, you know, order now because of that whole supply chain fiasco. You know, go pick it up right now because it's going to make a great gift. And I do want to give content warnings for crashes, violence, and murder, and your general space action adventure stuff. <laughs> Those are the technical words for that. Um, this is The Apollo Murders by Chris Hadfield. An actual astronaut. I am so enjoying today's recording. I cannot tell you how <laughs> deeply. <laughs> this is just a delightful way to spend my Friday. <laughs> Lots of sound effects. It's great. <laughs> Uh, well, I also have another book that I personally think would make a really great gift for the holidays uh, for anyone that is a fan of the previous books written by this author and or just loves witchy, magical things. And that is The Book of Magic by Alice Hoffman, which I have all the Muppet arms for in the world, especially because this book was supposed to publish last week and got bumped to the 12th, therefore like aligning it with my, you know, week to record all the books. And I mean, it would have been fine either way, but this way I just felt very justified. So I am, a first of all, a lying liar who lies because the last time that I recorded, or maybe the time before that, when I mentioned that I was going to read this book, I said that I thought it was a prequel to like the last prequel, which really, if you think about it, made no sense because the last book literally took us to like the ancestor Maria Owen. So like, what the heck was the prequel to that? Anyway, this is not a prequel, but it is the final installation. Neanderthal witches. <laughs> so I was literally like, um, the biblical, I, yeah, I was just like, what, what, are, what are we doing here? But um, it is the final installment in the Practical Magic series. So this is the last time that we'll be spending with the Owenses. 
So really, really brief recap for anybody who I guess has not read Practical Magic or just to like kind of put, set the scene for how this book takes place is, so the original Practical Magic was focused on Sally and Jilly Owens, who are sisters, and then their aunts, Jet and Franny, who are all, they're all part of the Owens family, descendants of the original um, Maria Owens, who was the first to like practice the craft. So like this particular book actually is set in present day and it features like several generations now of the Owenses. So we still get the aunts, we get, you know, Jet and Franny, we get Sally and Jilly, although mostly Sally, and then Sally's daughters who are uh, Kylie and Antonia. So when the book opens, we are talking to, or we, we see, I should say that the aunt Jet is now in her 80s, book opens in a library, and she has just heard the Death Watch Beetle. And if you have, again, read Practical Magic or even seen the movies, you will know that the Death Watch Beetle, once you hear it, that is your premonition that you only have seven days left until your death. It's a lot less creepy than, like, The Ring, though. That's all I can think of when I hear seven days. But anyway, so she now knows that she has, again, seven days to live. She's looking at her life and she's realizing that she is running out of time because she has something really, really, really important that she needs to communicate to the remaining, you know, Owens women. And that is that there's that basically like death is coming for somebody else in the family. She does, again, pass away. And in that time, she has left behind all kinds of clues that do end up leading her family to this very, very, very old book, a book that is very dangerous in the wrong hands because of the kinds of magic that it contains. It made a, an appearance in some of the previous books. And then Sally's daughter, Kylie. So again, Sally is the one of the sisters, and then we're now meeting her daughters, Kylie and Antonia. Her fiancé has this giant life-threatening car accident. And this sets off a series of events because Sally, again, in a previous book, who you will know, has completely turned away from magic because of this, the the like Owens curse that follows the Owens women where like any man or person that they fall in love with meets an untimely and very tragic death because of heartbreak, turned away from magic and actually kept it completely from her daughters, Kylie and Antonia. But now that Kylie's fiance has passed away, she finds out about the curse at obviously a very, very, you know, heartbreaking time. And she decides she needs answers to figure out how to try to undo this. And then this kicks off a journey that takes us to like modern day London to I think Paris for a brief time. And it's all in search of answers and in really visiting like the original place where Maria Owens first practiced the unnamed art in order to try to save you know, her fiance. I have a feeling some people will find this book maybe a little on the saccharine side, and that is precisely why I loved it, because there is a lot of flashback to previous moments, which honestly, I also feel like kind of needed to be there if you are either A, new to the books or just needed a refresher, because it's been a long time, what, since the 90s, I think, that, you know, Practical Magic came out. The last two books were published in the last, like, four years, but originally, I mean, the first one came out (laughs) decades ago. So I personally felt like they were really, really instrumental pieces, like little trips to memory lane, and also just to kind of remind you all the stuff that you might have forgotten about. And if you love the Owens family the way I do, especially the women, this is just like a warm hug. It's just so great to see there's a lot of you know, bigger lessons here about like courage and like making the right choices, even when they're hard and how like magic is like anything, there's, you know, good and bad to many of the decisions that we make throughout our lives. Um, There is a trigger warning here for some violence. It's not super graphic, but it is there. But overall, it's just such a uh, like trip down memory lane and a really beautiful way to like end a series of books that have meant a whole lot to me and my witchy soul. So yeah, that's the book of magic by Alice Hoffman. All right. So my next pick, Alice Burton, one of our contributors at Book Riot, 
listed this as one of her eight anticipated 2021 nonfiction books. And so I put it on my list and I read it and it's good. I feel like I haven't read a lot of true crime this year. I don't know. I usually read a bunch more, but that's okay. I read this one and it's really interesting, especially because it's my favorite kind of true crime, the historical true crime, especially obscure historical true crime. It's called The Gilded Edge, Two Audacious Women and the Cyanide Love Triangle That Shook America by Catherine Prendergast. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so that title is a mouthful. It All is. nonfiction I'm titles excited. are a mouthful. <laughs> but this is, like I said, true crime. It's true. It happened. It's set uh, at the. It's a story that took place at the beginning of the 20th century uh, about two women: Nora Mae French, who was a young writer and poet, and Carrie Sterling, who was the long-suffering wife of a real estate developer. They meet at Carmel by the Sea, which is a small beach city on California's Monterey Peninsula. Uh, it's where people go to get a little R&R. It's really beautiful there, and it's sort of set up for people to go and just relax and forget about their worries. And this is where the two women meet, and eventually Nora is invited to stay with the Sterlings. And that is where everything goes wrong. It turns into an intense love triangle that doesn't end well for anyone involved. I don't want to tell you what happens, which sounds weird because it's weird to say, like, it's a spoiler because these were real people with real lives and, you know, actual things that happened. But I still don't want to tell you what happened. It did inspire a series of copycat deaths at the time, much like Goethe 200 years before. Um, a lot of people read about it in the papers and copied it. It's a fascinating look at another huge news story of its day that is faded to obscurity. Nora Mae French was actually revered in her time as a poet, and now very few people have heard of her. It makes me think of Eden Philpotts. When you and I were talking the other day, Vanessa, Eden Philpotts yeah. was a famous author of his day who was neighbors with Agatha Christie and gave her manuscript, I think her first book, to his agent to look at. And now people are like, Eden who? <laughs> who? <laughs> you know, like, it's just amazing to me. Like, people who are famous and now we don't, you know, there's a there's a great book, I think I've mentioned it before, called Bonvard's Folly, 13 Tales of People Who Didn't Change the World by Paul Collins. And it's sort of that kind of story, like, these people were, like, really famous or they were almost famous. Anyway, I'll stop talking about that. But let's get back to this book. It is incredibly thorough and well-researched. And, you know, this is about real people and not just their ending uh, and, and has questions about the treatment of women of their day and how they were allowed to just fade away. The story was just allowed to fade away. It's it's really interesting, and I'm glad that I read it. It is The Gilded Edge, Two Audacious Women, and the Cyanide Love Triangle That Shook America by Catherine Prendergast. And that brings us to our next sponsor. Okay, Vanessa, what do you have for us next? My next pick is one called The Last Cuentista by Donna Barbaiguera. And I love this book. It's really great on audio. And it's narrated by one of my like now auto listens uh, as far as narrators go, Frankie Corzo. So tip for you. So this book introduces us to Petra, Petra Peña, who is at the beginning of the book, like talking to her abuelita, her grandmother. She's telling her one of her very like famous stories. She is the storyteller of the family. Petra wants nothing more than to be a storyteller just like her. And just a little tidbit here is that when she's telling her the story and she wraps it up, she says this phrase, it's colorín colorado, este cuento se ha acabado, which is like a very, uh, well, I, I can only speak to my experience, I'll say Mexican, but it could be other 
Latinx countries, but just such a like a warm hug too. It's my like phrase of the day because it's a thing we say when you're wrapping up a story that roughly translates to like bright red, this story is ended. <laughs> but it's it's just like a cutesy thing and immediately made me like, oh, okay, I'm latched on. I'm ready. I'm buckled into this story. So she's telling her, you know, the story has now ended and it's a really bittersweet moment again because she loves her abuelita and because the world is literally ending. A comet has destroyed the earth it, or essentially left it, you know, unlivable. And so there's this like scramble and only a few hundred scientists and their children among them, Petra and her family, have been chosen to board one of, I think, three ships to this new planet where they're going to go and like populate it and basically carry on the human race. And again, tragic because it's obviously just a tragic thing to happen, but because families are being separated, like very few people, again, just like scientists and their families are being allowed to move. So just like as they're boarding the ship and getting ready to go and having all these complicated feelings about that, they're looking back out and seeing just like swords of, you know, of people who are just staring at them like, well, what about us? So it's a really, you know, tough moment. They know for sure that it's going to be 300, take 300 years to travel to this new planet. So they're kind of buckling in and taking their last breaths on what they know to be, you know, Earth's air. And then they're going to wake up and, you know, make the best of it when they get there. Except that hundreds of years later, when Petra wakes up on said planet, you know, as expected, okay, they're there and that's fine. But the part that's super not expected and terrifying is the discovery that she's the only person who remembers anything about the past, about Earth. No one else knows. And the reason for that is because an ominous and like really sinister group called the Collective took over the ship on its journey. And in the name of, you know, erasing the sins of the past and forging like a better future has essentially just systematically purged the memories. And in some cases, just purged actual people, like <laughs> killed people on some like Thanos kind of stuff. So now Petra alone carries these stories. She sees that like wherever this collective is headed, it's not good. And she has to essentially play along with their plans for colonization in order to stay alive, to stay safe. But she's secretly plotting a way to try to join this rumored sort of like rebel or really survivor faction that survived the collective and that is, you know, thinking of doing things a, a different way, but has to survive to be able to do that and is as a subversive little, you know, thing of her own telling stories. Now she's the storyteller telling children stories about Earth to hopefully help them remember. I loved this so much. And, you know, I'd mentioned earlier that this was narrated by Frankie Corza, who I loved. And I had a moment of deja vu because Frankie also narrated Each of Us a Desert by Marco Shiro. That is also about a cuentista. <laughs> so I was having a moment of like, oh, storytellers is like a thing. But there's just a lot to talk about here about, yeah, like what colonization looks like and climate change. And there's a lot of really interesting science fiction-y stuff woven in with what I recognize anyway as like Mexican folklore. It was such a beautiful read. I loved it. And it was very sad at times, but also you're like, you know, rooting for Petra the whole time. So much fun. Highly recommend this one too. This would also, I think, make a really good like holiday thing for folks who are looking for some more diverse science fiction and fantasy. And that is The Last Cuentista by Donna Barba y Guerra. Okay, so my last pick today is actually one that came out last week, but wasn't supposed to come out until next week. I have like 4,000 books in my document that I keep track of, you know, upcoming titles, and this whole supply chain thing is Ooh, really man. trying my patience. Mm -hmm. You know, like, it's usually like one or two, but now it's like 20 and 30 and yeah. 40 for each new release day. So I'm trying, but... 
it, like right up until the last minute, this book was supposed to come out next week, and then it was picked as one of Barnes and Noble's books of the month. So they kicked it up, and I'm glad because now everyone can read it because I love this book so much. It is The Death of Jane Lawrence by Caitlin Starling. Caitlin Starling also wrote The Luminous Dead, which came out a couple of years ago, which is a really fun claustrophobic sci-fi horror story that takes place in a cave. This one is awesome gothic horror. It's like Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norell meets Mexican Gothic meets Crimson Peak. And it is set in the early 20th century. It's about Jane Shoringfield. She is a young woman with a head for numbers who decides that marriage is like math. It is a problem that needs to be solved. She's not really looking to get married, however, because of you know, she's a young woman in society, it's expected of her, and she can't do a lot of things without being married. So she makes a list of all the eligible men in her town and decides that the handsome young doctor, Augustine Lawrence, a young widower, is the best fit for her. So she invites him over and proposes a marriage business arrangement, which will be a marriage of convenience, but she will also work as his accountant for his office. But the thing is that, like, from the very first meeting, it's so obvious that these two have the hots for each other. There are definite sparks between them. And she also proves to be useful in a medical emergency as well. So even though Augustine is like, oh, this is a terrible idea, he says yes. But we don't know why he wants to say no at first. Like, you know, so he agrees to the marriage. But Augustine tells Jane that there is one rule that she has to agree to. This one rule on which he will not budge at all. She can never, ever spend a night with him at his family estate. He has this, like, crumbling old family mansion outside of town, and that's where he lives, and she can never go there. She must live alone instead in the lodgings above his surgery. And Jane's like, this is weird, but okay. You know, we're supposed to just have a marriage of convenience, so, like, we don't stay in the same house. That's fine. So she's like, yeah, totally fine. So you know that this rule lasts for like, oh, I think less than an hour You know, once they are wed. Went through a series of mishaps and errors. Is that the same word? Probably accidents, I think I meant. Jane winds up at the front door of Augustine's derelict family estate. And there she soon learns why it is that Augustine doesn't want her there, which I'm not going to tell you. I will tell you. Wow, this book is a blood-soaked, fun mess from beginning to end. It's so chilling, and their romance is super intense, and has ghosts, and gore, and guts. And I love Jane and her no-nonsense approach to everything that comes her way, even when it comes to ghosts. Me, I would peace out after, like, two seconds. But Jane's like, hmm, ghosts, gonna figure them out. It's awesome. And I loved the setting, and I would love to see this adapted into a movie or a limited series or something because, one, it's so spectacularly bloody. It would be amazing. Uh, and let me just mention that again. Heads up, it's super bloody. I do want to give content warnings for graphic descriptions of death, loss of a spouse, illness, body horror, gore, war, miscarriage, and violence. It is the very awesome Death of Jane Lawrence by Caitlin Starling. In summary, blood. <laughs> Bloody. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> it's a good one for the season, though. So much yep. fun. I was really excited that they picked it uh, because I want everyone to hear about it. That's awesome. I've been meaning to read The Luminous Dead for so long. 
So, but messing up my calendar. I know. Yeah, Liberty knows I had to switch up my reading last minute because two of my books got bumped. <laughs> and I like didn't like that just in November, yeah. I think. But still, it's like, you know, just a lot of stuff is changing. We're trying. A lot. We're trying. We're trying. But I will say that it led me to my last pick, which I have not read yet, but I'm super excited about. And I had somehow forgotten that it was coming out this week. So I guess thank you, Supply Chain. Not really. Um, <laughs> that is The Best American Mystery and Suspense 2021. So you may know about this series. There, it's a there's several books in this series that come out every year, and it's the best American, and it's so you know the best American short stories, the best American science fiction, the best American mystery. There's food writing, all kinds of uh, different you know genres, and I always tend to like gravitate towards these because it's a really nice way to just get some bite sized pieces from some really really well known authors and others that are maybe under the radar. But this year's collection sounds so exciting to me. It is I, can't, I don't know if it's the first or second one maybe even third, what is time, but that Steph Cha has taken over now editing the anthology, who's the author of Your House Will Pay. So immediately when I like heard that you know, that Steph was taking over, I was like, okay, I'm in. This one is also joined by a guest editor. It's Alifair Burke, who is on her own a mystery writer of, I think, the Samantha Kincaid and Ellie Hatcher, I think, series. She's the daughter of James Lee Burke, who is you know, a very famous crime author. And this just sounds like everything I want because I'm just really, really diving into mystery and suspense this year. It's got this amazing list of authors. I'm just going to rattle off the ones I remember, which are, let's see, Gavino Iglesias, Aya de Leon, who wrote A Spy and a Struggle, which I really loved, uh, Laura Lipman, Delia C. Pitts, Alex Segura, Lisa Unger, I think Preston Lang, like Kristen Lepianca, like some of the names here, I'm just like, oh, gimme, 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 gimme. So I really don't know too much about any of the individual stories, except that I know that Aya de Leon's one is set. It's it's not even one where there's like a actual like crime committed, but one that I have like uh, connections to, like from my own childhood about a mom who has a young, she's a young black mother in California. She has a really small child who his, she's trying to like put in a better school because he's been the victim of like bullying. And in order to get him to a better school, she needs to go through all kinds of hoops to like prove that they reside in this district. And I just have complicated feelings about how schools and stuff or, you know, district and bullies. But anyway, I'm rambling a little bit because I'm really excited about it. But this just sounds like one of the more exciting ones of this collection. And I feel like I say that about it every year. So in addition to checking out the best American mystery and suspense, you can also look for the rest of the best, the, the rest of the best, yeah, American anthologies that are coming out that again a great way to just sort of catch up on stories from authors that are doing really great things in all of these wonderful genres and that is my last pick all right so those are our new books what are you going to read next i am deep in my witchy season reads i tend to just pick october to like dive into just, i guess not specifically witchy but they usually end up being witchy uh so i'm going to first read the x hex by aaron sterling which is a fun sort of romance that is um like a, what does aaron sterling normally write under i think rachel hawkins so yep. now she's writing under aaron sterling it's about a woman who like cast a spell when she was young and heartbroken but she didn't think anything would come of it because the candle that she used was just like some random um i think like orchard hay candle and she's like yeah nothing could go wrong except it works so it sounds like a really fun and funny romance and then I'm also going to be reading Within These Wicked Walls, which I was super sold on because it's like Ethiopian inspired and sort of on the like witchy exorcism side. And I did not know until literally this morning that it is also a remix of Jane Eyre. 
So that is a very easy way to hook me. <laughs> ah, so excited. What about you? And, Ra- and Rachel Hawkins also wrote a Jane Eyre remix. Oh, that's right. Uh, the, oh my God. The wife Upstairs. I would say Woman Upstairs. I'm like, no, that's not it. <laughs> Thank you. I know. It's so hard to keep track of all the, yes. the different ones. So I picked up a book today called How to Marry Keanu Reeves in 90 Days. Yes. I was like, challenge accepted. <laughs> It looks like a romance novel. It's by K.M. Jackson, who also wrote Real Men Knit, so I'm pretty excited about this. Oh, yay. And I'm still reading the Agent Pendergast series. I keep calling him Agent Pendergast. I don't know why. There's no R at the end there. <laughs> well, then today you had an author with that name, didn't you? <laughs> no, I think it, it was Prendergast still, yeah. I mean, I've read, let's see, these books were like each like 700 pages, and Oof. I've read seven of them now, so I can't tell you how many times I've seen his name, and yet... Eh. Every week I get on the show and I'm like Pender Grass. <laughs> I don't know why. The but brain. yeah, I'm working on. I'm working towards the end of the sixth book in the series, uh, which is part of the Diogenes trilogy, and I'm enjoying it quite a bit. There is a giant, the biggest spider I have ever seen living in Maine. Uh, I mean, when I, while I've been living in Maine, it, it might not be the biggest spider living in Maine, uh, who took up residence in my office window. Like we no. took the air conditioning unit out the day before yesterday, and it already right built a. A web across the whole window oh. and so now i have like a front row viewing to the carnage it's like <laughs> my like own real halloween decoration <laughs> thank you <laughs> but i named him diogenes after these books because of course you did it's very interesting yeah he's cool i like him as long as he promises to just stay, outside. stay right there <laughs> stay outside that's all i ask that's all i ask is just stay out there so that is all for today Thank you to our sponsors. Thank you to our awesome audio editor, Jen Zink. You can drop us a line at all the books at bookriot.com. You can find us online. We mostly hang out on Instagram. Vanessa is Buenos Dias SD. I am Franz and Comes Alive. And if you want to give us a treat, you can go to Apple Podcasts and leave a rating or review. It helps other book lovers to find us. And as much as we would love to tell you about more books today, we just don't have the time. But you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter and for more recs or general bookishness check out bookriot.com and don't forget to check out our full stable of podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen or just search bookriot on your podcast player of choice and in the meantime happy happy reading. reading